Welcome to the Chad Ford NBA Draft Big Board. Wait, this voice doesn't sound like Chad Ford. You're right. This voice is David Locke. But fear not, Chad Ford is with us. Say hi so they feel comfortable, Chad. Aloha. Now you feel good because Chad's here, but I'll explain what happened here. I was talking with Chad. Chad had some things going on. And I said, well, I kind of have two questions about what's going on. One is, did we miss on the analysis of last year? And Chad and I did the draft show together. So I thought we're a third of the way through the season. And I thought I'd bring up a premise to Chad. Then we talk about some of the players. And then my second question, which we'll do next week, is I know nothing about the 2021 NBA draft. Chad, can you give me a tutorial? So we're going to do like draft basic 101 next week, right? That's that's where we stand. That's great. We're going to do a little postmortem on the 2020 draft. It's it's early, but I, I, I definitely think that there's there's some things that to talk about. And then, yeah, I think this is a really interesting 2021 draft. And, and maybe these two will connect together somehow, David. Maybe there's some things we've learned from 2020 that we can apply to the 2021 NBA draft. So the premise when we did the draft and we did the, the Locked On uh, draft live show was that this w- had, had no elite talent, that it was generally a poor draft. And then I really strongly believe, Chad, that we would see almost no meaningful contribution from much of anyone because of the fact that they had no summer league. They really had no training camp. They also had had no uh draft workouts, which while I don't think a lot of fans really realize this, are actually really valuable learning lessons on the vocabulary, the way pick and rolls covered, things that these guys learn a lot during that process. And that I just thought they would all be way behind. I'm actually overwhelmed a bit and really surprised at how many players are having positive contributions, Chad. Do you see that similarly or am I being too, shall we say, um, soft on this draft class well there's been a lot of lot of great contributions and i think that our analysis at the time was look one of the problems with the 2020 draft was there was no surefire number one guy there was no guy that you could take and just rest easy this guy is going to be a surefire all-star there was there was guys that had that potential but there there was there were serious warts that there was there was low floors with some of these guys as well. I think actually there that that hasn't been totally resolved yet. But then there was a lot of depth in this draft, and we saw a lot of guys that we thought, hey, if could they come in? Could they be rotation players? Could they stick in the league a long time? And I think the answer was was yes on that. And I think that the early going as what we're seeing in the draft is we're seeing a lot of those guys, and a lot of those guys that were contributing were drafted in the late lottery mid first round and in one or two exceptions in the in the second round they're they're not the guys that have been at the top with the except, exception of LaMelo Ball who has been terrific. All right, let's go there because I saw LaMelo Ball. I've made this comment publicly before so I will admit to it again. When I was prepping for LaMelo Ball when the Jazz played him I watched his game against Milwaukee, I watched some of his game against Miami, I watched his game against Philadelphia. And honestly, his length of passing and his impact on tempo reminded me of magic. Like I had not seen a player whose presence on the floor so dramatically changed the tempo of the game and who shortened the floor with the way he threw passes 
and, and you know, Kevin loves an outletter, but this the combination of the two honestly took me back to magic. I know that sounds insane, but that was the reaction I had. He then proceeded to drop a career high thirty four on the night I watched him. So I'm fully in the bag for Lamelo at this. Well, we we knew that about Lamelo. I mean, that was the thing that that we knew was that he was a generational type passer for a player his size, his feel for the game, his ability to see the floor. We knew that even the limited sample size that we saw in Australia. It was all the other warts about LaMelo that I think, you know, people had serious questions about. Like, was he going to play defense? That What about that funky jump shot uh, that he had? What all sorts of different takes on his, on how he was going to be in the locker room, how seriously he was going to take things. Things that I actually thought at the time were over overstated by NBA teams wringing their hands. And so we we knew that he had that that generational talent that way. Could it make up for all the other warts that that people saw rightfully in his game? And I think the answer is, one, the generational talent, that's not an overstatement. It truly is a generational talent in his ability to see the floor impact the game uh, with his court vision, with his basketball IQ, with his, with his passing ability. But two, he's turned out to be a better all-around player in a lot of the areas that we were concerned about than than we thought he would be, certainly this early on. He's He's been the best case scenario LaMelo Ball right from the get-go. And if you would have asked me or pretty much anybody whether there was an expectation that we would see that from him this year, after only playing a handful of games in Australia, after playing for his dad for the rest of the time in a very unrealistic, un-NBA type situation, I would have told you no. And the fact that he's doing what he's doing right now in Charlotte at this age and that those weaknesses that that we were concerned about, they're still there, but they don't look nearly as glaring as they once did. And that generational talent truly looks, you know, I'm not sure I'm ready to go magic, David, but we're talking about a guy that that sees the floor and passes the basketball like this. Maybe we get a guy like that once a decade. Uh, coming into the NBA, and that's LaMelo Ball. And so Charlotte clearly won this draft. Uh, I don't see how Anthony Edwards or James Wiseman uh, or uh, Patrick Williams or any of the other guys that, that went high are going to be able to live up to what LaMelo Ball is going to do if he if he continues to stay healthy and continues on this trajectory. His last nine games, as we record this, 22 points, seven rebounds, Seven assists, two steals, 47% from the field, 45% from three on seven attempts, 93% from the free throw line. And the number that's most impressive is his finishing at the rim. That's what's blown me away. His ability to get to the rim. And if you break it down, he started the year terribly. I believe 10 of his first 29 at the rim and since then has been in about the 65 to 70 percent level at the rim that's what lebron does at the rim like that's elite at 6'6 180 and only 19 years old to be able to finish at the rim in your opening month of the nba season is unheard of yeah if this trajectory continues he's going to have one of the great rookie seasons uh, of all time and again even though i think there's people that got Lamelo. And thought he could be great. There were scouts out there that thought he had superstar potential. Uh, he was number one on John Hollinger's board. He was number one on my board. We, we saw that potential. D- 
to see it one month into the season, playing like an all-star one month into the season, that's incredible. What's your quick take on Anthony Edwards? He's getting a lot of time. He's averaging 14 points. He's had some flashes, but he is shooting 39% from the field, 32% from three. I will share that my general take on first-year wing players is I just don't care. Like, Durant shot 39%. LeBron, I think, shot 39%. Like, go find every great wing player when they first come to the league at 19. They shoot 39%. But that was the concern with Anthony Edwards because of the fact that his one year at Georgia, he only shot 40% and 29% from three. So have you seen the things that made him the one pick, or is he? are you more concerned maybe than you were before? Well, you've seen the athleticism, and and he's had a number of highlights that you can you can post that show his athletic abilities. But all the questions that we had about feel, about basketball IQ, about how his game is going to translate at the next level, shot selection, it, it, all of our fears have have played out with Anthony Edwards. And if you look at some of the advanced stats, the only two players in the draft that have performed more poorly. Then Anthony Edwards, when you look at win shares or something like that, has been Killian Hayes, who also has been really, really struggling, though he's only played seven games. And Alexis Pokashevsky. Uh, that, that's it. Uh, so he's got a long way to go. But I'm with you, David. I'm not ready to write off Anthony Edwards yet uh, because we knew he was late to the game. Developmentally, he was behind other players in this draft. We knew that the learning curve was going to be steeper for him than other players, that his game almost primarily relied on athleticism early in the early going and that that's that's really tough when you get to the NBA when that's not going to be enough anymore even though he is an, a terrific athlete so I, I'm not surprised that this is where we're at with him in Minnesota and I would tell Timberwolves fans to be patient uh, this where he is right now is unlikely to where he'll be in a couple of years if he puts in uh, the work but also I think Timberwolves fans can be pretty frustrated with the idea that it doesn't seem likely, it's not impossible, but doesn't seem likely that there's going to be anything about Anthony Edwards that's going to scream generational talent the way LaMelo Ball does. No, poor uh, poor Anthony Edwards and poor James Wiseman are going to not quite be Sam Bowie and Akeem Olajuwon, but they they, they could be. The, there's numerous third picks of this draft that have made the first and second pick of a draft forever be talked about in that realm, and LaMelo Ball may be doing the same. He is, of course, Chad Ford. I'm David Locke, just kind of filling in and hanging out with Chad. We're revisiting draft night, really. There's my biggest surprise and a tip of the hat to NBA scouts, and not a surprise, but we have to revisit how it happened, and then we'll touch on some of the the veterans that have stepped forward to be surprisingly good. That's all uh, continuing as we move forward. It is Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. I'm David Locke along with Chad Ford. Make sure you grab the new Locked On Today. 20 minutes every day running you through all the big stories in the sports world and giving you the insight you need with the local experts from the Locked On Podcast Network as well as updates on the biggest games. It's a great show. 20 minutes, all the sports you ever need. It's Locked On Today. Subscribe today. I want to talk about our new sponsor, rockauto.com. It's a family business that's been serving auto parts to customers online for 20 years. And if you think about chain stores and they have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody. They're reliably low. They offer the lowest possible prices rather than changing prices based on what the market will bear like airlines do. 
rockauto.com is for everybody and does not require membership or account login. They have everything from engine control modules and brake parts to tail lamps, motor oil, and even new carpet. Whether it's your classic or daily driver, get everything you need in a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. The rockauto.com catalog is unique and remarkably easy to navigate. You quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and then you choose the brands, specifications, and prices you prefer. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professionals and do-it-yourselfers. Why spend up to twice as much for the same parts? Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right, locked on in their how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. On draft night, Chad, I just tipped my hat and said, okay, sure. But in the back of my mind, when Patrick Williams went four, and I looked at Florida State, was like, come on. Like, he played 600 minutes. He averaged nine points, four rebounds. Like, come on. There's no way. Chicago might have been right. This guy's playing 28 minutes a night and holding his own beautifully. Yeah, and and we knew this was a developmental pick as well. What Chicago was doing was saying we were going to bet that after those three guys, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman were off the board, we're going to bet on the guy that we think has the most developmental upside. And, And that was Patrick Williams. I agreed with that decision. I think early on you see where he can develop to, though he's clearly not there yet. Uh, Look, on draft night, I was very adamant that I thought Tyrese Halliburton was the fourth best prospect in this draft. If you remember, I was going crazy all night every time a team passed on Halliburton. I think Tyrese Halliburton has played out the the fact that, that he also is a very special talent and a guy that should have probably went fourth even to the Bulls. If not, maybe he should have went after LaMelo Ball second or third in this draft. And so while I want to continue to pat Chicago on the bat back for that Patrick Williams pick because I, I think it was a bold move. I, I still think uh, from everything that I've seen so far this season that Tyrese Halliburton is the real deal and and that guy that you, you could defend not taking him one, two, or three, and maybe you could defend not taking him four, but after that, I just don't think there was much defense from any of these other teams, and and that certainly played out. He ends up going 12th to Sacramento, which is the very bottom of where I thought he could go in this draft, and and he's been terrific uh, for Sacramento early on. And so, yes, Patrick Williams, great guy, but I think that the the scratching our head all night about what happened with Tyrese Halliburton. I still haven't gotten a good answer, by the way, David, of what happened there. He clearly wasn't injured. Uh, his background was stellar. Absolutely stellar. Almost everybody I talked to said this is like one of the best young men in the draft. 
uh, how NBA teams missed on Tyrese Halliburton is is really, really hard. And when you look at how some of the other guys in this draft, and I'm not talking about Patrick Williams here, but Isaac Okoro's performed, Denny Avdia's performed. I mean, we could go down the list, Obi Toppin. Uh, how they missed on Tyrese Halliburton is is going to be, I think, one of the, the other great mysteries in this draft. Yeah, I mean... It is kind of a question if we're going to have to look back and try to figure out why. Uh, and and there does and maybe we'll never find out why. But f- I said I don't care about guards and wing players shooting percentages when they're rookies because everyone shoots badly. Almost no one shoots 50% from the field and 44% from three. And, and, and look, we knew. I think the concern was, why do you take Patrick Williams over Tyrese Halliburton? Tyrese Halliburton super, doesn't have that super high ceiling. He doesn't have that one thing that pops him into the superstar category, but he does just about everything well. And he's the type of basketball player that just helps you win basketball games. And it didn't take long for Sacramento to figure that out and and really give him a prominent role uh, on this Kings team. And I think if you look at the other teams that he could have been drafted by, what he would be doing right now for them, th- this is one of those cases where I get excited about sexy upside, just like the the next person. I, I always love players like that in the draft, but sometimes you just take the guy who's really, really good and, and you know is going to help you win basketball games for the next 10, 15 years. I do want to point out, he has taken six free throws in 16 games. Like, and that was one of the concerns out of his complete inability to go to the line at Iowa State had people concerned. It's usually a bad sign. So if for all of his great shooting, he better shoot that well because if you're never going to go to the line, it's hard to be efficient in the NBA. There's something for him to work on. Yeah, right. That's I mean, we're 20, 30 games into a season of the guys have had no camp. That's, that's the thing that jumps out to me the most. All right, there are a bunch of 22-year-olds who are doing well. And I wonder, you know, we talked about this on the draft night on the show that my thought was, that, is this a year in which you might draft a 22-year-old a little earlier than you would otherwise because of the fact that th- that they're ready. So two of them are in Memphis. Xavier Tillman Sr., who was the 35th pick in the second round, has been really strong for Memphis so far uh, this year in the midst of their injuries, and so has Desmond Bain, uh, who went with the 30th pick to Boston, but really to Memphis. Um, he's another 22-year-old. He's shooting 48% from three on four attempts a game. What, in retrospect, did maybe we miss about some of the older players in this draft? Well, you know, you look at the physical limitations of both of these players. Uh, Tillman, undersized power forward. Bain, not necessarily undersized in his height, but but doesn't have the length and wingspan that you particularly think about when you're, when you're talking about uh, a wing like Bain. And I think those were the things combined with the age that dropped them further down in the draft. It's, it's one thing to to be old. It's another thing to then lack a physical talent or, uh, uh, you know, the size length or elite athleticism that teams really won. You know, look, there was another 20, 22 year old who went high in the draft OB Toppin and, and, and on the argument, I think with the Knicks that this was going to be the guy, probably the favorite to win rookie of the year. I think that's sort of how we, we pegged Toppin early on. And as you pointed out, Tillman's been better. Uh, significantly better, uh, in my opinion. Desmond Bain's been better. Peyton Pritchard uh, out of Oregon, uh, who went 26th to Boston, has been better. Uh, Sadiq Bey, who's not quite 22 years old, but close, uh, has been significantly better and went 19 
uh, as well. And so the, you you see that there was guys that are come in and are any of those guys going to be all stars in the league? I don't I don't think so. Uh, but are they going to stick in the league a long time? All of them, I think the answer early on is going to be yeah. I was going to bring up Sadiq Bay and Peyton Pritchard. Um, I was pretty low on Sadiq Bay. I thought he lacked the athleticism. I thought he was really a product of the system. He's getting an awful lot of time on a, on a team that's playing really, really, really hard. And he's been kind of impressive in his efficiency. And Peyton Pritchard's been a stunner. All right, how surprised are you that Danny Ainge found this? I'm not. Dan- Danny Ainge, this is a Peyton Pritchard. If you know anything about Peyton Pritchard, he's kind of a, a, a little Danny Ainge. Uh, I'm not surprised at all that Danny Ainge fell, fell in love with him. I mean, he, he, he approaches the game uh, with the same sort of ornery toughness that, that Danny Ainge approached the game. And so while they're different players, there's something about their makeup. And, and in fact, the makeup that Danny typically likes out of Boston Celtics players, that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me that they took him. Am I surprised that he's been this good early on? Yeah, I'm, I, I'm surprised. Uh, he was one of those late risers that that team started talking about as potentially a first round pick like the last you know month, the last few weeks of the draft. He certainly played into that really well. You know, the one guy, David, that we need to talk about at some point, the guy that I think shocked us the most on draft night is is Emmanuel Quickly as well. Well, I said on draft night that I thought Emmanuel Quickly, not Tyrese Maxey, was the uh unsung Kentucky player of the draft. I don't know that I'll turn out to be right on that one. Maxie was a player who has had some, had the big night when everyone had COVID and his athleticism. I saw him last night permeates off the court. I just couldn't figure out what position he plays because he's really not a shooter and he's really not a one. And maybe that doesn't matter as much as it once did. So I had big concerns on Tyrese Maxie, whereas Emmanuel quickly, I actually really kind of liked, but I, it was one of those, it actually reminds me of the Jabari when I used to go watch Jabari Parker and I finish every game wanting to talk about Rodney hood. Um, that's actually how I felt in those Kentucky films I watched. So what have you, how much are you buying the Emmanuel quickly thing? Well, one, let's just start by saying that me, pretty much everybody that I talked to before the draft, every mock draft, everything that I saw, I didn't see anybody that had quickly as a first round prospect, let alone as, you know, arguably one of the top five play rookies in this draft. I mean, that that's pretty stunning. And it's it's interesting because the team that took him, I think the, the thinking at the time was, okay, the Knicks have gotten an infusion of people who are adjacent to the Kentucky program. And so they're doing Cal a favor or, you know, there was something in the works there. And what it what it seems like now is that the, 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 all those folks that were adjacent to the Kentucky program saw something that the rest of us didn't see. And, you know, this has been somewhat of a trend, interestingly enough, with Kentucky players that every year there seems to be a Kentucky player that dramatically outperforms their draft position and not every Kentucky player, Kevin Knox is an, you know, an example of somebody who's underperformed their draft position, but we've been seeing this. It was Tyler hero last year. You know, it's making me wonder again, how we have to reevaluate Kentucky and, and the fact that there's so many, so much talent on those teams, that there's so much ball sharing between all of the different guys that maybe we're missing things that we didn't see with quickly. I mean, it's hard not to, feel like quickly has has something going on that that's going to stick in the league. He has one of the best floaters and I think that's the thing that really stands out. He can also really shoot the basketball and I I just think that uh, coming off the bench he's having a really impactful season that's hard to just write off as a fluke because the Knicks are actually a pretty solid basketball team. 
Here's what I liked about Quickly, and I, I, this is where I do think sometimes numbers matter, right? So he's he's old. He was he was not young. He's 21 years old, and he's six three one eighty nine. So he didn't quite fit. But when you dug into his numbers, he was 79th percentile in transition in 83 attempts. So there were some guys better than him, um, and some of them, you know, he that wasn't a great number. But he was in the top tier of guys there. He was the best isolation player in the draft. He was in the 85th percentile in pick and roll. The only guys that were better with were uh, Malachi Flynn and Grant Riller uh, that were you know noticeably better. The only other one other than uh, that, really that's it. The, Sadiq Bay was probably a little bit better, but in the same ballpark. Then you ran through his spot up shooting. He was in the 84th percentile. There were some guys better, but not a ton, right? And we're not talking about a top 10 pick at this point. And then you get to his shooting off the bounce. He was the best shooter in the draft off the bounce, 99th percentile in his jumper off the dribble. Like there were signs in his limited time. And we went 18 of 32 on jumpers off the dribble in college. There, there was enough there that the Knicks pick makes sense in retrospect. It does. They were right. And, uh, you know, I, I was scratching my head on draft night and, I got to tip it to the Knicks. Uh, they they ended up drafting. I, I think at this point, most people in the Knicks franchise are are higher on quickly their 25th pick than they are will be topping at eight right now. Now it's premature, and we're again we're talking about you know we're what 28 you know 30 games into the season. It's very early to be doing a CSI on the draft at this point, but. Everything that we've seen from Quickly so far is that the Knicks got an absolute steal at 25. No, and really the point of this conversation with Chad today, let me just reconfirm this, is that, at least from my opinion, I kind of led this conversation. I didn't think anyone would contribute this year because of the circumstances. So the fact that we have some guys contributing and playing pretty well, to me, makes me wonder, like, wow, did we, like, miss on this draft? Like, maybe this draft was much better than everyone portrayed it to be. And you made a good point. Everyone kind of said it had depth. The kind of the talking points were like, well, from 6 to 36, it's really the same. And maybe that's what we're going to find out is that there was great dip depth 6 to 36. Okay, it has not all been peaches and cream. There are a few players whose numbers are a little scary. Understanding we're only 25 games in the season and all of the things I've aforementioned about how little time they have, we will check in to see whether or not any of the pit, the numbers that are scary scare Chad away from some thoughts they might have had or have brought up any concerns you might have. We'll continue with that next as we continue. Today's show, uh, David Locke with Chad Ford here on Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. Locked on bets is your 15-minute show on the betting world with Lee Sterling as well as your boy Q. It's all brought to you by betonline.ag. So check it out. Locked on bets. Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The improved Built Bar tastes even better than the old ones. There are in 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, lemon almond cheesecake, carrot cake, apple almond crisp. That's on top of all of the original flavors that you typically love, the coconut almond, the raspberry, the banana bread. One of my favorites, the mint brownie. Also love that orange bar and the coconut one as well, of course, being in Hawaii. And the great thing about these bars is that they taste like a candy bar, but they're actually healthy. And for, for someone like me, 
who exercises a lot and runs a lot and cares a lot about what he puts into his system. I love the fact that it's low calorie, it's low sugar, it's got high protein, it's got high fiber, 19 grams of protein, uh, in fact, which is which is pretty awesome. And so go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. That's builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. Let's go down the scary list, but you're welcome to just say way too early. Isaac Okoro, 39% from the field, 25% from three. Scary, way too early, little concerning. Where are you, Chad? We, we knew that he was being drafted because of his ability to be a terrific defensive player who could guard and lock down multiple positions, had the size, athleticism, had the aggressiveness at Auburn, and Cleveland drafts him at five. I thought that was a little high, but you could see, given the backcourt that they already had in place, that they needed a player like this. He fit what they needed at the time. And the, and the question was, will his offense ever come around? And will his shot selection, will his shooting, will all of that ever translate to the point that it makes up, that, that it, it's enough that his, his offensive liabilities aren't so bad because his defensive strengths are going to be so strong. And, and right now, I think it's pretty clear uh, that his offensive liabilities are serious liabilities. Will they continue to be? You know, I don't know. He's a hard worker. Um, people say that he's a great kid. He's such a committed uh, player. Will he continue to refine his offense? I, I hope so, because the early, early going is, is, is pretty sketchy. Uh I know it's very few games. You mentioned him more. Seven games, then his hip injury. Killian Hayes, 28% shooting in those seven games. Concerning? Too early. Well, it depends on which camp that you're in, right? There was people that believed that Killian Hayes was being overrated, that he was in a system that was really tailor-made to him. He, he was essentially showcased by his team to look good for NBA teams and that he was going to be in for a super rude awakening when he got to the NBA. And then there's other people that looked at how he how he improved. Lots of sort of intangibles on his game. He wasn't shooting the ball very well, but his, his shot form looked really great. His basketball IQ, really, really high. Great feel for the game. He, he looked completely, I watched a couple of those early Detroit games. I mean, he looked completely overwhelmed. As overwhelmed as anybody that I've seen play as a rookie early on. But again, think about the transition. Think about coming from the German League over to the NBA. Uh, I And think about point guards and of all of the positions that you're thinking about and how sometimes this takes a year or two for it to really click with young people. Uh, I'm not ready to write Killian Hayes off, uh, off yet. And if you think about Detroit and where they were thinking about the future, maybe this is why they took Hayes over someone like Tyrese Halliburton, for example. But man, this is the... This is the spot, uh, maybe of all the spots where I think everybody thought, okay, Halliburton's going to be Detroit's 
guy on draft night. They went with Hayes. Right now, it's looking like a disaster. And and the only thing that's making Detroit's draft night look any better is that Bay has been pretty good. Uh, and, you know, actually, I, I think that you could also sort of make an argument that Isaiah Stewart um, has been pretty solid as well. All right. Another numbers aren't great. Time's limited. Do we concern on Aaron Neesmith? 31% from the field, 30% from three. Yeah, he has not looked ready for prime time. I think this has been a big shock uh, for Boston. Again, the detractors for Neesmith said, if you look at the, the sample size that we had for Neesmith, who had that incredible shooting run uh, at Vanderbilt, and I think if my, if my memory serves me correct, he was shooting over 50% from three. Uh, if you look at that, you look at the sample size, you look at what he'd done in previous systems, perhaps this was an example of a player who just got on a hot streak and then got injured and ended, ended, ended his college career in a hot streak without the uh, trying to be able to regress back to what maybe his normal shooting percentages would be. Uh, I mean, you know, Boston doesn't need him to do much other than catch it and and stroke the basketball. And he's just been unable to do that early on. Only 30, 32% from the field, period, uh, right now early on for Boston. Major disappointment for the Celtics. They, they have a terrible bench. And one of the reasons that they're struggling this season is they're not getting any real productivity off their bench right now. Neesmith was supposed to be one of those answers for them. And I think one of the reasons they drafted him is they thought that he was one of the players that could come in right away and contribute to the Celtics. And so far, just a massive disappointment for them. Pokashevsky has played 300 minutes, which is a lot. Um, he, we knew he was like the biggest shot in the dark on this entire draft, seven feet tall, 190 pounds. He's shooting 25% and 18% from three. Is that exactly what we expected? I I did. I I think that the leap that he was making to the NBA was huge. And and only a team like the Thunder that are in complete rebuild mode at this at this time could afford to throw a player like him out there right now and, and let him drown. Now, now look, I wouldn't read anything necessarily into this. Uh, if you remember the stories about Dirk Nowitzki's first year in the NBA with Dallas, uh, Donnie Nelson almost was fired by Mark Cuban. He he really struggled, and and every day uh, Mark Cuban was coming down asking what what had the Mavericks done, and they fed him a ton of minutes. They let him fail. Giannis Antetokounmpo, his rookie year uh, at Milwaukee, was was not necessarily the MVP season. They 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 gave him lots of reps and lots of minutes to get adjusted to the NBA. And so again, I'm not ready to write him off. It doesn't surprise me given the leap from where he was to where he's going right now, given his body, uh, that he's going to struggle a little bit. But yeah, the early going um, with him is that he has been uh, one of the worst players in the draft. And he's he's had over 300 minutes. So he's certainly uh, had an opportunity to, to do something on the court. And I got to give him credit because he's done one thing that's just incredible. You know how many free throws he's taken? I don't. Zero. <laughs> well, he might break in half in the NBA if he took a free throw. Uh, so maybe maybe that's a that's a good thing. Zero free throws in 296 minutes. It's really awe-inspiring. Wow. All right, and then just because I don't want to be that guy who only talks about when he's right and had things. I had a player I loved in this draft who I was certain was going to be so good. He was old. He was mature. 
He was going to be ready to play. I was so certain he got drafted by the right spot. It was going to be terrific. He's barely played. When he has played, he hasn't hit the backside of the barn. Is my guy Malachi Flynn shooting 28% from the field, 22% from three, averaging two points a game, playing very little in 13 games, going to be okay? I, I Again, I'm not ready to write off any of these guys. It's been, it's been rocky. Uh, let's just put it that way. And I expected him to be actually one of the players that, given his age and his experience and just what he does on the court, that he was going to be one of these guys. I, I actually thought he would be doing what Peyton Pritchard is doing for Boston right now. If you would have asked me who's that guy, I would have said it was Flynn. Uh, so I was wrong as well, and it, it turns out to be Pritchard. Uh, and so I, I think he's, you know, like anybody, I think they can be okay. It's a big adjustment to play a point guard at the NBA, but it's been rocky early on. Uh, I, I want to shout out, I'll shout out... Um, my guy, John Hollinger as well, who loved Paul Reed and and was adamant that Paul Reed should have been a lottery pick. He's only played five games uh, for uh, the Sixers, but he just won G League Player of the Week uh, and has looked pretty awesome and intriguing in the G League right now. And uh, I wonder if John Hollinger might, might have been right about Paul Reed. He went 58th in the draft. John thought he should have been a late lottery pick. Uh, I'm I'm actually leaning towards that Hollinger may have been more right than the NBA right now. So my shout out to John Hollinger. The one I'm going to watch, if we're going to watch that, here's the one I'm going to watch I thought was really interesting. I thought it was interesting on draft night too. The way the draft broke out, there were about seven players from 25 to 35 that all had, I think they all could have been drafted interchangeably. Emmanuel Quickly, Peyton Pritchard, Malachi Flynn, Desmond Bain, Tyrell Terry, Theo Maladin. They all got drafted between 25 and 34. Tyler Bay probably could get into that group a little bit. He's a little more physical, but the right, I mean, there's seven kind of guardish players. If you had made me bet who the minutes on that group, I'd probably have it inverse, right? So quickly Pritchard and Bain have played a ton and been great. Flynn, Terry, and Maladin's played a lot. He's played like 500 minutes for Philadelphia. Uh, or he's not. Where's Maladin? Is he in Philadelphia? He got bounced. Yeah, in that he's in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, sorry. Well, it's. Uh, so, and Flynn, Terry, and Bay have not played at all. <laughs> I probably would have had that inverted. But it's early. But I think that'll be an interesting grouping to watch. RJ Hampton probably could go in that group as well. Um at, at the end of this whole thing. Maybe even Leandro Balmero goes into that group when he comes in. It's a, it, look, it, I think that the thing is, is I actually think our take on the draft is going to be right if people listen carefully. I think what people heard was, look, this is, this is a terrible draft. And I think if people listen carefully, that what you're actually going to say is that at the top of the draft, it was a crapshoot. Right now, LaMelo Ball looks like, okay, he's going to be a home run. I think Wiseman has actually been interesting. Anthony Edwards, a little bit shaky. Then you get get a little bit further down the raft. Patrick Williams, okay, but then there's some shaky again until you get to Tyrese Halliburton. And Devin Vassell, by the way, just a small shout out to him. He doesn't play a big role. He comes off the bench for San Antonio, but I think there's a lot to like in his game right now. Uh, I think the analytics point to the fact that that he's going to be a productive player in the NBA as well. So he's another guy to keep his eye on. And then there's just a ton of depth in this draft. And I think a lot of these guys, 
that you know Precious Achua, Tyrese Maxey, um, you know Sadiq Bay. Uh, I think a lot of these guys are going to end up being in the league a long time, and 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 that's a de- another way to define a good draft is how many players end up sticking in the league, not how many players make an All Star team, but how many players stick in the league. And I think from that that metric. Right now, it's looking like the 2020 draft's going to be pretty good. He's Chad Ford. It's his show. It's Chad Ford's NBA Big Board. I just interloped, stopped by. I'll do it again next week, and we'll do a draft 101 tutorial for the NBA play-by-play announcer who has no time to watch college and has no idea what's going on. He and I used to, Chad, you and I used to do this kind of every March before the draft, before the tournament. We'll do it a little earlier this year. Uh, we'll do it in late Feb instead. How's that? Sounds, Sounds fun. fun. He's Chad Ford. I'm David Locke. Have a great day.